We're back, episode 21 of Built for Better. Today I had Hayley Redfern on, and it was a really good chat. She was really raw, open, and honest, and I know you'll love this one as well. Uh, but before we get into it, let's roll the intro. I'm sick of us not doing this right, that's why I think I'm cutting you from my life. No more. I'm sick of us not doing this right, that's why I think I'm cutting you from my life. No more wasted energy spending the pace for every hour of waste. I need an escape to center me. And I don't mean to make a rush for the door, but time's a currency. I'm currently poor. I'll be leaving it soon. I don't mean to be rude, but this scene ain't for me. Like your mom's seeing your news. I got places. Hey, thanks for jumping on. No worries at all. Thanks for having me. It's good. How's your morning been? Yeah, it's good. Just trying to get the kids settled, like sort of settled back into lack of routine again um with what's going on at the moment not much has changed for us we've sort of been working the only thing that's really changed for me is um the personal training side of things um as well as the active farmers as well um but it's sort of gone online um so i'm sort of videoing workouts for my guys to do two days a week um, and sort of just fitting that in around like the kids and everything like that. But we did opt to put them back in sort of to school and daycare um, to get them back into that routine and sort of get our lives sort of going again, like with work and stuff, because we're relying on family to sort of come and look after them. Um, at home, it sort of defeats the purpose of self-isolating, doesn't it, really? 100%. Like it's... Everyone's got their own opinion. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I've got two little kids myself and, like, they just want to get outside. Like, you can't even take them to the park. So we've actually been sending our little fella to um, care a couple of days a week. Yeah. yeah. He loves it. It is. It's hard. It's, it's, yeah, it's incredibly hard. Like, I think I think it's actually harder for the kids than what it is for the adults, like, to be honest with you. Like, the kids are just so, like, carefree and you know, they just get about their lives without a care in the world, you know, whereas we're the sort of ones that are like changing their routines and, you know, changing, like putting, you know, I suppose undue pressure on the kids maybe. Like, you know, like we're a lot, I suppose adults are a lot more fragile at the moment too. You know, we're a little bit crankier than normal, um, just sort of stuff like that. So I think it's actually the kids that are that are copping the rough end of the stick at the moment. Like, but um, we're pretty lucky. Like we've got 15 acres for the kids to run around on. So, you know, like, mate, I'm, I'm grateful for like where we're at at the moment. Yeah, 100%. Like I'm glad that I'm living in the country and not the city. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Totally and, agree. How's the active farmers been going online? How's the participation? Yeah, it's good. Um I do Yagara um, and Goolagong as well. I've sort of, um, I sort of opted um, with Goolagong to sort of take a bit of a break. Um, it was a 110-kilometre round trip for me um, and of a night time as well. And at the moment I'm actually basically working five days plus four nights as well with the personal training side of things. So I sort of opted, something had to give. Um, and Jake sort of said to me, like my husband, Jake sort of said to me, he said, you know, like you're going to end up having an accident. Like I was starting to get tired. Um, 
And as much as I really hate letting people down, um, something had to give and Goolagong was it. Um, and then the sort of um, COVID sort of hit. So it was sort of pretty good timing to sort of take that break. Um, so I'm just continuing with the Yagara guys. Um, the, they sort of opted for classes to be done um, whenever they felt like doing them. So they're not actually live classes. So I'll actually video the full workout for them and then I'll upload it um, on a private face group, uh, Facebook chat. Um, for them to do and then they'll just do them whenever they want to do them, how they want to do them, um, if they need modifying or anything like that. Everything's scaled like to suit their levels and things like that. So if they've got any questions, they sort of just we sort of just stick to that Facebook, um, Facebook chat group. Um, yeah, so it's sort of like a win-win really, like I'm keeping them sort of moving and, you know, I'm giving giving them sort of... Yeah, that sort of physical side of it's still going as well for them. So technology is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And how do you feel like getting behind the camera and videoing and stuff, explaining that you're comfortable with all of that? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Like the only thing that, that's hard is the kids sort of want to join in. Like not that it's hard, but like you're sort of trying to show them like technique and stuff like that and, you know, you've got the kids sort of swinging their dumbbells around like the kettlebells and stuff like that. So like I suppose it adds a, like it sort of, it adds a good element just like to promote the fact that anybody can do it but, you know, you've also got to be mindful that, you know, as a trainer, you know, the safety sort of aspects there as well, like for your participants as, <laughs> as well as the kids that they don't whack themselves in the heads with the dumbbells and stuff like that. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's kind of like a catch-22 really, but I'm sort of just doing what I can when I can. Like I'm not sort of filming them live. Like classes for active farmers run every Monday and Thursday nights. So um, I'm not actually sort of filming them every Monday and Thursday nights at 6 o'clock when the classes normally run. I'm sort of just fitting them in based on what the kids are doing. Um, yeah. So I'll just do it when I can. Got to fit around the family. And what yeah, that's it. PT, are you still doing outdoor PTs or? No. Nah. No, nah, it's just too hard. Like we've had... we've had the kids home. So this is like the first week um, that the kids have like start going back to daycare and school, obviously with school holidays and stuff. But we we opted to pull them out um, when we were first sort of told to isolate because um, Harry, my youngest, he's three, he's got um, asthma. Yep. Um, and Mace, my eldest, he's six, um, and he does have a, um, a milk protein allergy. So he has like skin conditions and stuff like that. He has grown out of it a lot, um, but he still can flare up with like eczema and things like that. And I suppose you can never be too careful. Like you're always mindful like with things like going around daycare and school like that, you know, and especially with this being a virus, their immune systems are going to be down anyways coming into winter. So, you know, like I sort of, yeah, we just sort of wanted to play it out, keep them home better to be safe than sorry and then just sort of see where everything sort of ended up after the school holidays. But, yeah. And will you get back into doing it outdoors or you'll just see what happens over the next sort of couple of weeks to a month? Yeah, I'm just going to wait and see, um, like, what happens. And 
if if it, if this like lockdown and isolation has sort of taught me anything, um, it's made me sort of realise that you know family does come first. Um, and you know, like as much as I love to help people, um, and I hate letting people down, you know, there, there's a line where you know your family does come first. Um, and at the moment, for me, the boys are my my main priority at the moment. Um, and you know, like what's keeping me ticking over is my my own personal sort of training, like because that sort of hasn't changed for me. So, like, with my kettlebell training and stuff like that, um, it's always been online. The only thing that's actually changed is um, I was going down to Albury once a month for, like, one-on-one training to, like, tweak my technique and, and any like, just to have that, that personal interaction that you sort of need, like, you know, as a coach, like, you need that personal interaction. Like, I'll, like and I'll always firmly believe that online classes are never the same as face-to-face. Like you need that face-to-face interaction. You know, there's only so much that you can do. There's a lot you miss, um, like, you know, with technique and things like that, doing online. But you, you work with what you got and you, you make do with, you know, the situation and the best that you can do. And that's, that's all you can sort of do. Yeah, I dived headfirst into training online um, at one yeah. and got sort of half a dozen clients and it just wasn't for me. Like I just didn't, the connection wasn't there. Like yeah. I really didn't understand them all. Um, like you couldn't yeah. see what their training was like, what they were doing outside of it and it was just like it just wasn't for me. Like I just loved the face-to-face. And yeah. So this has kind of been a bit challenging time for me as well but yeah. like there's always new possibilities that come out of it. Yeah. Let's jump back a little bit. Let's tell us a little bit about your upbringing and, um, you know, what you're like at school and how this has kind of led you into the health and fitness industry. Yep, yep. Um, So I was um, born and raised in Forbes. Um, Mum and Dad, we've still got the family farm. It's um, 10 kilometres out the um, Orange Road or the Escort Way now. Um, Well. I've been lucky. I've sort of lived on the river all my life. Um, Mum and dad um, have got standard bred, so race horses, harness racing. So we've got we've been in horses. I think four generations. Um, I used to ride horses um, when I was younger. Um, yeah, so I went to school in Forbes. Mum and dad are both teachers. Dad was actually a principal um, and it made it quite hard for me. Well, I thought at the time because <laughs> I was going to the school that they were teaching at, so, you know, I had to be on my best behaviour, <laughs> pressure on straight from day dot. Um, and Did you then, feel much pressure with your father being the um, principal? Yeah, yeah massive, massive um and I suppose too like being the first child you know they sort of and you know like I get it now being a parent yourself but at the time you sort of didn't understand it when you're growing up but you know they they at the time you know they only want the best for you and yeah it, it did it did make it very very hard and I can tell you now they're a lot they were a lot lenient 
a lot more lenient for my sister. Like there's six years between us and when she was going through high school, mate, they were letting her get, get away with bloody blue murder as opposed to me. Yeah, um, I'm the, I'm the yeah. eldest too. <laughs> I used to have to um, wear like black boots up until like mum was like, no, nah, you're wearing this. And then my brother always had the joke that he got his white Nike joggers, whatever he yeah. wanted to wear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mate, I know that feeling. Mate, it's still happening now. Like she's still... <laughs> She still gets what she wants. She'll kill me for saying that, but <laughs> like she, um, <laughs> no, we're good. But um, yeah. So I did school. Um, did primary school in Forbes. Um, and started off at the high school here. Um, in Forbes, and then I actually went to Yanko Ag. Um, for years. Well, it was supposed to be for years eleven and twelve, but I actually got quite sick down there. Um, and ended up with glandular fever. So my grades were really, really good going into Yanko. Like I was pretty much, you know, like a B and an A student. And when I got quite sick and um, sort of had a couple of trips to hospital down in Leeton, um, my grades slipped really badly um, down to like C's and D's. And mum, mum and dad came and picked me up, pulled me out of there um, and brought me back to the high school. I had a lot of work to do um, to sort of catch up and sort of to make up my grades like because at that time, you know, I don't know if it was sort of like that sort of era but it was sort of drummed, like it was sort of drummed into me, you know, that grades were everything, um, you know, like it sort of sort of set you up for life, um, you know, if you had good grades, it sort of gave you more options, you know, like to do university and and sort of things like that. Um, How do you feel about that now with your kids? Are you really grade orientated or are you no. really relaxed around that? No, totally relaxed because I actually didn't go to uni. And you wouldn't see so, business Jake's built and stuff? Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. So Jake actually went to uni. Um, he did like civil construction and stuff like that. So he's actually fully qualified for that. But I actually lasted three months at uni. Yeah. And, you know, like I, and at the time, mum and dad were absolutely devastated, um, you know, but, and I still remember to this day, mum saying to dad, I told you she wouldn't last. I told you, you know, she's not that type of person, like she needs to get out and work. Um, and that's exactly what I did. You know, like I, I lasted three months at uni. I actually went to Orange Ag um, College. Um, and then, yeah, it just, it wasn't for me. Not at all. Like it just, yeah, I just went out and worked and I've basically worked my whole life pretty much. Like I've sort of had a job since year 10 um, doing weekend works at a supermarket and then, yeah, just sort of went from there. I've sort of, I suppose you could say I've done everything the hard way. Um, You know, like I sort of didn't go to uni and like when I sort of um, wanted to get the qualifications like for personal training, my cert three and cert four like that, you know, like I sort of, I suppose, started late with this whole studying side of things. Um, yeah, like I sort of, I didn't really have like a clear direction of what I sort of wanted to do and what I sort of wanted to be when I was at school. Like I did work experience um, as a police officer, like with the police force and also as a vet. Um, that was sort of what I was interested in at the time, but um, the police force is still something that, you know, that I'd be interested in, but at the moment with the kids and it's, it's sort of something that's not, 
it's not the right time for me to do that, like having to go away for, to Goulburn for six months and, and things like that. So, yeah, as far as a vet goes, um, well, that was like... <laughs> That was like the worst experience ever. You know, I thought I had a pretty strong stomach and a dog came in that got hit by a car and it's seriously like looking back at it now, it, it was only its leg that sort of was quite badly damaged and I basically pretty much only passed out. So <laughs> that sort of ended the whole vet thing. He's like, well, how are you going to operate on an animal? And I was <laughs> like, oh, that's just not going to happen, is it? So I had to sort of rethink that one quite quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you've uh, you've tried lots and it's like a bit of a common thing now, I guess, that most people cruise through high school and really don't know where they want to be and then they yeah. even you know, get the thought that it's either apprenticeship or uni and you go do uni for four years and you're still not 100% sure where you want to be. You come out with it. Yeah. It's not like now it's finding that even that's not what you want to do and you've kind of wasted somewhat four years and got yourself a hell of a hex. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Along the way. Um, how old were you when you did your cert three and four? Oh, um, well, I was, I was actually pregnant both times with the boys when I was finished them. So, um, 2013, um, was cert three and then 2016, I did my cert four. So I had that, that, you know, that 12 month break in between three and four, um, while I was sort of, while we're bringing up Mace. Um, that like I just actually just happened to be pregnant both times when when I was sort of finishing those off. Um, yeah, so I, I actually had kids quite late, so I'm nearly forty. Yeah, and what um, was, what was your yeah. next steps with getting into? Where was your first classes? Where was your first PTs? Uh, with Anytime Fitness. Yeah, so you worked for, Anytime. Yeah, I worked in the commercial gym with Anytime Fitness. Um, it sort of came about, um, I sort of, before I had kids, um, I was actually doing bodybuilding and I was supposed to um, step on stage in October 2013 for season B. Um, I was training with a company in Sydney um, called Clean Health um, under the guidance of Jess Murphy at the time. Um, so I was just going to do bikini. Like I wasn't going to do physique or anything like that. Was sort of aiming for bikini at the time. Um, and then I sort of, like I fell pregnant quite quickly. Um, so that sort of threw that out the window. Um, but I think the worst sort of mistake from a fitness perspective that I sort of made was after I had mace, I thought that my body was where it was when I left off. Um, and I got back into the gym way too quickly for me. And like my first, um, like my first birth was actually like quite traumatic. Like not that, you know, like it's not, it, it wasn't, yeah, you know, your textbook birth. I ended up having an emergency Caesar um, after I think it was 16 hours of active labour. Um, yeah, it was horrible. Exactly what happened to <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> um, and I think because, you know, like from a female perspective, you know, like you're, you're tired, you're exhausted, you know, I, I got told 
I was actually pushing because my contractions sort of were two minutes apart straight up. So I'd sort of started to push when I shouldn't have been pushing. Um, And they sort of said to me, you know, you need to stop. Otherwise you're going to do, you know, massive internal damage and stuff like that. And they ended up giving me an epidural and stuff like 60 hours into it so I couldn't sort of feel the contractions to, um, to stop me from pushing. So anyways, it sort of ended up being um, an emergency Caesar and, you know, I thought that I could sort of step back straight into the gym and, yeah, sort of pick up where I left off and, mate, how I was so wrong with that. You know, I biggest mis- biggest mistake that I ever personally made, I think, was that. Um, I remember coming out of the gym, I was trying to deadlift. Um, and obviously, like, having a Caesar and stuff, yeah, basically your insides are pulled out and, you know, jammed back in. So it takes a bit for them to sort of, you know, settle and things like that. And I remember coming out of the gym and the pins and needles that were running down my legs, particularly over one side, like on my right-hand side was running down my legs. Like I just, and, and the, 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 the physical sickening feeling that I had, that I sort of pushed it just that way, 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 way too far. It was just, it was hideous. And it actually made me... Um, I went through a stage where I actually hated the gym as well. Um, I was, I suppose I was angry at myself as well because I wasn't sort of at the stage I was at, you know, sort of when I left, I suppose it's kind of like mind over matter and, you know, your mind sort of says that you can do it, but your body actually physically can't do it. Like, because you've basically just had a major operation. So that was a massive turning point for me um, as well. And I sort of, I suffered postnatal depression as well with Mace. So like the gym to me was my escape um, for that. And when I couldn't do it, like I really, really felt that my life was just out of control, massively out of control, and I had no control over it. Um. So, yeah, that sort of, you know, sort of when my fitness sort of started, like it was quite early on. It was before I had kids. Um, yeah. Is that what kind of triggered you into doing your Cert 3, like prior to kids, is like you were training and you just loved it and you were like, you know, this could potentially be something that I want to explore? Yeah. Yeah. So I've... I've got a, I've had a history of um, depression and anxiety and things like that. And I've always had a sporting background as well. Um, not so much the gym side of it. So growing up, I was quite a good um, athlete um, on the running track. So I was actually a really good hurdler. Um, and then, you know, like I also had the horses. So I used to compete a lot at the shows with that as well. But the athletic side of things, like I was, I was a quite a good runner. Um, but I was a sprinter. My sister's the cross-country, long-distance sort of runner. So I've always sort of had that sporting sort of background and and you sort of know like the, I suppose, the elation that it sort of gives you, like that, that sort of um, that content feeling that, you know, when you sort of participate in a sport and you do well at it, um, it's like a, a relief for you. Like it's like your happy place. Um, so I sort of turned to like when I sort of went through a rough patch, 
um, like sort of, I suppose, late teens, um, I sort of turned to the gym then um, and weightlifting and I found that to sort of be my relief, my sort of escape. Um, and I realised that if it sort of helped me, you know, it could potentially obviously, you know, help others as well. And, you know, the research is there between, you know, physical exercise and mental health and, and the benefits of actually the, the endorphin release um, from exercise, you know, it triggers the chemicals in your brain to, to give you that endorphin release. And, and, you know, like it's, it was sort of a no brainer for me that, you know, if it's something that you really love doing, why not pass it to others? You know, so I, I suppose it goes back to saying, you know, spread the love, basically. You know, that's, yeah. Yeah, 100%. And um, you obviously, like, I know there's all the science and everything behind it, but you're like, um, I guess, an experience of it, of how much exercise helped you in that period of, like, depression and anxiety. Yeah. How do we, how do you... I guess there'll be people listening to this that are dealing with it. Like what are some little simple steps for someone who might like really not really have the courage to go to the gym or something like that to get started? You don't, I, oh, mate, it took me ages to get back in the gym. Like that's, you know, I'll, I'll get it, like I'll get into that later with you. Like I suppose my own, you know, fitness journey and stuff like that, but you need to, it's like with anything, you need to do things that make you happy. You know, like if you force yourself to do something, you're not going to last at it. Yeah. So you need to find like the best advice that I can possibly give to someone is find an activity, um, even if it's going for a walk, starting off, you know, like a 500-metre walk or something like that. Find something that is going to make you happy. Um, and stick to that because there's no point in me saying, you know, go for a 1K run and you hate it because you're not going to stick to it. You need to find that that particular person needs to find something that makes them happy, whether it's, you know, taking their kids to the park um, or taking the dog for a walk or whatever it may be. It's all movement. That's the biggest thing, you know. You might not, you people, I think, perceive exercise as, you know, like hitting the gym or, um, you know, going for a 5K run or whatever. But, you know, fitness is so much more than that. Like it's movement. As long as people are moving, they're exercising. And that's what people have to realise. As long as you're moving, you know, up and about, even vacuuming, you know, like you're, that's movement. It doesn't have to be, you know, particularly going to the gym or anything like that. As long as you're moving and not sitting on the couch every day. Find something that you enjoy doing that involves movement. That's, a, that's probably the best bit of advice that I can, I can give because there's no point in sort of singling out specific exercises or anything like that because it's got to be like person specific. Um, that's the biggest thing, you know, like it's got to be based on that individual and, you know, what makes them happy because they've got, at the end of the day, they're the ones that have got to stick to it. You know, we're, you know, it's, we're here to motivate them and sort of keep them moving and stuff like that. But ultimately at the end of the day, it's that individual that's, you know, got to be happy and content within themselves to keep themselves going. 
And, you know, once they find that happy place for them, then it's our job to sort of um, to help them think about their goals and to show them, you know, that there is sort of more, more to, you know, building on those goals for them. Yeah, 100%. And it's just like a no-brainer to, to not try and get into exercise if you're dealing with things like this because it yeah. is proven. And you haven't got to do everything. It's just do something. Exactly. That's it. And, you know, it just comes back to just move. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to go and do 50 burpees or whatever or, you know, 20 sit-ups or whatever. Like just move. Like go out and do gardening. You know, if being outside, get you, you know, get your vitamin D in you, and and um, you know, it's and it's also a common thing, you know, like with sun and sunshine, you know, and vitamin D, you know, that that creates happiness as well. So you know, go outside and throw a frisbee with the dog, or you know, chase the kids around. Like you'll be surprised at how much movement you actually rack up just from doing little things like that. Yeah, part of my challenge is just 10,000 steps every day. It's something that we all skim over, but it's like a minimum that you should be hitting. And like now I'm spending way more time in the office. I've actually got my watch out and checking it. And I've got to to tack a decent walk on to get it each day, you know. Yeah. Um, Like some people nail it. Like if you work a job where you're on your feet all your day, doing 10,000 isn't isn't a problem, but that's kind of just a little target as well. Yeah. Um, like in saying that while we're on it, like I've been walking every day and I've kind of got a 5K loop mapped out and I put my head yeah. and listen to a podcast or an audio book. And when you get home, it's amazing how good you actually do feel. Like some days I'm sitting there like struggle to get out the door. But when you get back in, you're so glad that you actually did do it. Oh, mate, and don't we all? Like it's, yeah, everybody goes through it. Everybody has shit days, you know, like and like coming from a, a trainer perspective, you know, like that's the one thing that I sort of like I really make it clear to like my clients is, you know, don't don't sort of look at me and and you know think that my training's perfect and and things like that because, you know, everybody has shit days and everybody's entitled to have shit days. You know, there's days where I go outside and I don't want to train. You know, I'm not going to lie, you know, like whether it's, you know, I've had a shit night the night before, you know, whether Harry, because Harry's the worst sleeper ever. Um, He's only just started sleeping through basically the last six months. So, you know, like whether he's, you know, woken three nights, three times that night and, you know, I've had broken sleep as well. There's a heap of factors that come into it, you know, like we're only human as well. Um, Yeah, and I suppose... When your sort of environment's thrown upside down like ours has been like with ISO and stuff, adjusting to like new ways of how to implement training for you, like when you're in such a routine, that's, that's, a, that's a massive challenge in itself. But, you know, I think everybody's doing a damn good job like adjusting and adapting, I suppose, like really, you know, I think everyone's nailing it. Yeah, especially out here in the country, like, yeah. I think we tend to be a little bit hard on ourselves sometimes and expect yeah. a bit too much. But if you actually yeah. sit back and look, I think we are doing a good job. Like, yeah, uh, keeps popping up on the TV. There's like there was five cases in the Central West, and now that's dropped back to three or two. I think. Like, yeah, it's pretty amazing that it hasn't actually um, made its way this way too badly. Maybe yeah. Yet, hopefully at all. But yeah. Yeah. 
Let's jump into your yeah. personal training. Um, you said you were doing some training in your teens. Um, when you initially got into sort of lifting weights and whatnot, were you following a specific program or you're just throwing stuff together yourself? No. So when when I sort of first started out in weightlifting, um, it was obviously like to be prepping for bodybuilding and stuff like that. So it was just purely um, strength training. So like your cycles would be, you know, like chest day, leg day, back and shoulders, core. Um, yeah, you know how it is. Like it's just I used to specific. do that as well. How do you yeah. feel about that style of training now? Oh, mate, <laughs> where do I, I start? even thinking about doing that. Like, yeah. where do I start? Like, it's yeah, crazy I, how much stuff changes, isn't it? Yeah, and do you know what? Like, I suppose everybody's different, um, and I suppose as as sort of people evolve, and it's a constant learning process. Fitness, you know, like they they're all they're bringing in new stuff every day, um, you know. And at the end of the day, what suits one person is not going to suit another person. But for me personally, it's bloody boring. Yeah. Um, and I think that's sort of where um, when I sort of was getting after the birth of Mace, like my first child, and I was sort of getting back into the gym and realised that, you know, bodybuilding just wasn't for me. You know, like I love my food too much as well. Um, like I eat to perform now. Like it's, yeah. And you want to I compete sort of, on stage though. Like it's probably the ultimate test of... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not con- well, consistency, I guess. But you really need to make the sacrifices. Like you oh, can't slip up. Like sacrifice is is um, probably the best word to describe it. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, yeah. Like, there was a lot of sacrifices with that. Get on stage. Like there's no cheat. You know, meal or cheat that. No. It's seven days. Bang. Yeah. Bang. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, for me, um, like, mentally it wasn't the best thing. Yeah. You know, like, it wasn't it, – it's not that I wasn't committed, but um, what it was doing, I suppose, to my hormones and everything like that was just – it was – it was not for me. Um, you know, kudos to the people that, you know, can do it and stuff like that and they can, you know, they can sort of – you know, it doesn't sort of affect – affect them the way that sort of affected me like I suppose hormonally and things like that um yeah it just wasn't for me and when I was sort of starting to get back into the gym at any time um I met which is now a very good friend of mine um she was actually a functional fitness trainer there um anytime fitness and she sort of introduced me to CrossFit um so that was in um 2016 I think it was, yeah, 2016. She sort of introduced me to functional fitness. Um, And ever since then, you know, like I haven't looked back really like. For me, like your story now, like it kind of all adds up, like you're super competitive with like your running and stuff. And then and now to find something that kind of is gym related but a little bit competition related. Yeah, look, I thrive on competition. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm my own worst critic as well. Um, I'm very hard on myself. I'll be honest, like I'm I'm massively hard on myself, you know, like 
I sort of like I set myself targets like it like anybody does and you know like you sort of have that that mindset where you know this is what I want to do and you know I'm going to do it sort of thing um I think I had my first comp was six months postpartum I put a lot of pressure on myself to get to that comp so that was um in June June 2017 um, and that was the Masters Leagues game down at um, CrossFit Aesthetic at the time at Mona Vale in Sydney. Um, so that was my first actual, I suppose, official CrossFit comp. Um, and, you know, like I set myself a goal, like I said I wanted to do it and, you know, like I did it. And I it was a massive learning curve for me. Um, in the fact that, um, like, being my first comp, I was sort of a bit naive, I suppose you could say. Um, I, I missed out. I got equal, I was equal fourth on um, type, like, on a, on a count back thing, and it was only, like, one point separating first and fourth. Yeah, right. Um, but... What sort of happened was um, during one of the workouts, like it was, it just happened to be the tiebreaker workout. The girl that I was next to actually fell off the bar and she broke her arm quite badly. And I couldn't get back up on the bar in the middle of the workout to do it. And so everyone was sort of around her and like I was, you know, over her, you know, are you okay, are you okay. But, um, what sort of what exercise was she doing? Pull up or yeah, we were doing we were doing pull ups and um, so it was from memory it was skipping kettlebell swings and pull ups um, and I specifically remember that workout because I actually had my gear stolen like that's how rough my first comp was like you know <laughs> like I'd had my kettlebell set up my bloody um, like and because I'm so short. I had to use bumper plates to like jump up onto the bar because I got stuck with like one of the highest bars on the rig. So I had my kettlebells taken, my skipping rope taken. Oh, mate, it was, it was, as I said, it was a massive learning curve for me on so many levels. Um, you know, so it, it, like I was proud of myself for getting there six months postpartum, like, um, I had to do a lot of work to get there and I worked with a lot of really, really good coaches in the Central West, um, and namely Dan at um, in Bathurst. Um, I worked with him. He got me through through that. And I, like Ash Corby, I worked with Ash Corby. Like she helped me a lot on that comp. Um, I also had help from Gus and Sal at home front in Orange to get there. Um, yeah, so uh, my first comp was just like looking back at it now, it was just a fucking disaster, really. Like you look at it and you just think, hurry like out. Like <laughs> there's nothing like a competition to really oh. hold your weaknesses either. That you skip oh. over in your training, and then it gets um, you know brought up, and you've actually got to do it in that certain number. Yeah, yeah, like it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a. It was definitely an eye-opener, that's for sure. And, look, I suppose to, like, you know, at the time being in Forbes, there was actually no sort of CrossFit gyms and stuff, so I actually had to travel, you know, like that extra bit to sort of to do that sort of type of training and things like that. So 
I sort of, I was, I suppose you could say I sort of went into my first comp blind as well. Like, um, you know, like I didn't have that consistency of, you know, CrossFit classes and that support either every day. Like I was sort of just doing stuff from home how I could and, you know, going to Anytime Fitness and, you know, using the equipment that they had there and you just make do with what you got and, you know, the rest sort of comes down to how you perform on the day. Yeah. And when you left that comp, were you hungry or like for more? Yeah. Yeah. What was your next steps from there? Um, So I had had a bit of time off um, after that. I was, I'm going to be honest, like I was absolutely gutted that um, I didn't make the Australian team because that was like the next step Um, and missing out, I suppose, and that sort of comes back to how much pressure you put on yourself as well. Um, I was sort of a bit gutted that, you know, and disappointed in myself, I suppose, that um, I didn't get back up on that bar quick enough, Um, you know, and then, you know, I suppose it was just sort of bad luck for me that it just happened to be that workout that they sort of did the count back or the tiebreaker on to separate all four of us. Um, but in a way, it made me take a step back and and work harder. Um, you know, like I knew how, I suppose, fierce the competition was in, at one of those places, you know, like looking back now, like, you know, CrossFit is a community-like sport, but when you go to competitions, it's it's next level. Like, you know, you're there for a reason. Like, you're there to compete. Like, you're not there to, you know, be best friends with people. And I suppose that was the biggest thing that I sort of learned as well. You know, you can sort of socialise and whatever after the events. But, you know, when you're out there on the competition floor, that's exactly what it is. It's a competition. So it, it made me hungry. Um, I suppose, yeah, um, so I entered a, um, 12 months later, I entered the same competition, same Masters League again. It would actually be over 12 months. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be two years. So I had, yeah, 12 months off CrossFit. Um, was that in, like 2019? Yeah, 2019 was um, the Melbourne Games. Um, so it was, it's like a three-step process. So, um, the first one is, the first step is like a online qualifier and then your top 10 make it down to Sydney. Um, and that was, um, at CrossFit Geo in Sydney. Um, so your top 10 athletes in that age category go down and then your top two athletes from that, and then they go on to the Masters League Games and that was in Melbourne. So um, I I sort of, I suppose, you know, like I sort of mapped out a path for me like at the time and I said, you know, I've wanted this for two years, you know, like I, and I like didn't have the setup in my gym that I have now either. Um, so I sort of just, you have to, I just sort of got through with what I had and, um, sort of visited, like sort of, I suppose, dropped into a couple of gyms, um, to sort of, you know, fine tune technique and stuff like that. Um, yeah, but I wanted that Melbourne, that Melbourne comp so bad. Like I can't express to you how, how much I wanted to win that. Like it just, yeah. 
it was it was my one thing that I sort of said to myself and it was like, right, this is what I want. This is, you know, this is what I have to do. This is what I've got to work with. Let's get into it. Like, yeah. And how many days was that over? It was over two days. So six workouts over two days. And we had no idea what we were doing until we got down there. They didn't release the workouts. Um, I think last year was the first year that they actually didn't release the workouts. They told us what to prepare for. So they said that there could be swimming. So it was at um, a stadium in Melbourne. So they said prepare yourself for swimming, um, running, like track work, um, and then your usual like CrossFit, like your weightlifting side of things. Um, but they said basically said prepare for the unknown. So, um, yeah, so that it was sort of, I was like, right, well, I know that they're going to be held at a running track, you know, so I started to run a lot. Um, swimming, I just, swimming's not my thing. Swimming's never, ever been my thing. I, I think you're either a swimmer or a runner and I'm definitely not a swimmer. Like I can swim to save myself, but that's about it. Um, yeah, so I sort of stuck to the more running side of things, like to sort of get up my cardiovascular fitness as well um, and then just sort of did the weight training side of things and just sort of, you know, did what I could do. Like I sort of, I, I was training two day, two times a day for probably oh, a good six to eight weeks um, leading into the games. I was making sure that my nutrition was spot on um, leading into it as well. like like basically fueling my body like for performance like I had to eat um I'd be splitting the sessions into two so I'd do like the walking or the running side of it um first up and then I'd sort of do the strength side like later in that day um are you doing all the programming yourself for this yeah yeah that's a cool little achievement too yeah, um, like I, I suppose like coming from a tra- like a personal trainer and like being an actual trainer yourself, like you've sort of got that advantage where you know your own body, like you know, you know sort of like what you can handle and, you know, what like, yeah, you know how to push yourself sort of, you know, past your limits, you know, because everybody can always give that extra, you know, 10%. You know, when they say that they're done, they're not really done. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and um, how'd you go? Um, I actually got through and I won it. Yeah. So congratulations! Oh, mate, it was I. Look, I remember. Was you know, like I was no. <laughs> <laughs> there was there was a bloody two and a half k run though in the side, like sleeting rain. Um, that was that was just a oh, mate. That was <laughs> it was Melbourne hard. weather is horrible. Oh, and yeah, and then the next, you know, in twenty minutes later, the sun was out and it was, you know, that steamy. It was yeah, it was it was an incredible feeling to come away with that win. Yes. You know, like I yeah, like I'd sort of beaten myself up that much from you know two years ago. It's sort of funny, like I just never let it go. Um. And I suppose it sort of comes back to what you just said, you know, like it made me that much more hungrier to to get out there and to win it. Like, yeah. Um, I, it's 
and the thing was like I didn't win like over the six events I didn't win every single event like consistency got me through and got me that win um you know like I was just consistent over those six events and you know it just happened to be that I came out with the win so it was yeah amazing and was there a team off the back of that yeah so I was on I was on the Australian team. So out of all the states, so Asia, there's Asia, um, New Zealand, and then all the states in Australia. Um, With the states in Australia, um, the top two athletes in all of like Australia, they they made the Australian team for that age, age division. And I was just fortunate enough that my scores down in Sydney got me that, that spot um on the Australian team so yeah it was it was good yeah and where did you go from there where did that Australian team what did that get you into that was that sort of ended there like that was in the Melbourne games you know like I suppose it was sort of like a a benchmark for everybody else they sort of knew you know who they had to chase yeah um yeah I sort of yeah I I suppose it sort of in a way it sort of like motivated the other competitors like because they knew that you know like you were one of the top competitors like from yeah and it sort of you know it made them sort of chase you down but then yet it sort of it made it gave you that extra advantage as well where you know they were sort of at you the whole time at the events where it gave you that extra push as well because you knew that they'd be chasing you down so um yeah it just yeah, it was it was incredible. Like it was it was such a good feeling to come away with that win. I can't yeah explain it. It's good. And did obviously the twenty twenty version of that has that been cancelled or? Yeah, it has. Yeah. yeah, I didn't. Um, I actually didn't enter this year. Um, I sort of took. I at the moment my sort of main focus is like kettlebell sport. Yeah. Um, I'm only relatively new, I suppose you could say, to kettlebell sport. Um, and where I'm at in my life at the moment and, like, with I've got a bit of a medical condition as well, um, kettlebell sport is, um, is for me basically at the moment. Like, it's, it's, it's giving me that, um, you know, like weight training side of things, but it's also giving me that 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 competition as well like that that competitive edge as well so um how'd you get into kettlebell sports because it's not that common no it's not so um it's this is so when I sort of mentioned earlier that I sort of had that 12 month break um from CrossFit I was actually diagnosed um with a bone disease um in my middle ear so it's called otosclerosis. So um, essentially what's happening is is um, from pregnancy, the hormones from pregnancy have um, accelerated the bone disease and I'm actually going deaf. So it's a, it's a middle bone disease in my ear. So I'm about 90% deaf um, in my left ear and the right side's starting to go as well. So I've actually got to get a bone transplant. So from a medical side of things um, and for people that aren't familiar, your middle ear is actually what affects your balance. Um, So I was actually going through a really hard time with CrossFit 
Um, Burpees and warbles. Yeah. That'd be horrible. Yeah. 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 Um, It was affecting my training like um, to the stage where I actually just, I couldn't train. Um, Like the vertigo was horrific um, at times. Like with the burpees, sit-ups were probably, sit-ups and burpees were the worst for me, just that up-down movement. Um, and the crystallization, like in the in your middle ear, it just it was just horrible. Um, and I sort of went through. It doesn't happen all the time. Um, when I have a head cold or something like that, it's it's so much worse um, because you've already blocked up in the head, anyways. But um, yeah, it just it just sort of um, I suppose exaggerates the condition more. Um, so I was going through a stage where my CrossFit training sort of had to be put on hold and like for me mentally it wasn't doing me any good and I wasn't in a, in a good place at all. Um, you know, like you sort of go from, you know, <laughs> I suppose, you know, like that, that, that one step away from making, you know, the Australian team with the Masters League, um, you know, to be, to be not being able to do it at all. Um, and, you know, like I suppose with CrossFit and the competitions and stuff, you don't know what you're going to do. So, you know, there's always ways around training and stuff like that, but chances are if, you know, I had continued on and, you know, gotten, gotten to one, through to one of those competitions again, you know, they, 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 there would almost certainly be burpees or sit-ups or you know, box jumps, things like that. Like, yeah. So, you know, I made the the concert conscious decision to to stop training CrossFit for a while. It was in my best interests at the time, um, particularly after one particular day. Um, it probably took me so from the house to where my gym is. It's probably only about sixty meters, fifty sixty meters. Um, I remember doing. Um, Verpy over bars and it probably took me about half an hour to get back to the house. I'd walk 10, 10 metres, have to sit down or get on my hands and knees and I'd be vomiting, um, take another 10 steps, vomit until I actually got to the house and I got into the house and Jake sort of took one look at me and he just and he said to me, how can you keep doing this to your body? And I sort of, you know, got into the shower and, you know, sort of sat in the shower for a bit and then sort of climbed in the bed because um, for me I found laying down is the best thing for me when vertigo does get really, really badly. Um, and I sort of was laying in bed thinking about it and I said, you know, for Jake to say that to me, it must be getting quite bad. And, you know, it sort of made me realise that, you know, maybe I do need to take that step back at this just at this point in time and, you know, find something else that's going to make me happy. The athlete mindset that comes out in you as well when you're in that situation yeah. when you're doing them burpees over the bar and you've got like five yeah. left and you're like, oh, I should be right. And then you get yeah. in that big, deeper hole that doesn't yeah. come Yeah, and no, I wasn't coming out of that hole that day, I can tell you. Like it was, yeah, it was bad. That was probably like one of the worst, yeah, the worst that I've ever sort of been, you know, like I'd sort of like I'd go to stand up and, you know, it sort of felt like the walls were 
like enclosing in and I just thought, no, I've only, like as you said, you know, I don't know how many I had left. Like it wasn't many. Um, it might have even been like a 10-minute EM wrap or something and, you know, like I had 30 seconds to go or something and, you know, like it's 30 seconds, you know, not going to hurt. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> and who encouraged yeah. you to pick up the kettlebell? So what I did was um, I reached out to Dave Tobain. How um, man. Yeah. He's a legend, yeah. hasn't he? Yes. So I'd sort of been um, following following him through, um, like he's sort of done a lot of work for Dan in Bathurst. At, um, Is that the late work camps? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, with the CrossFit 2795 boot camp crew, like, yeah, so Dan and Jess over in Bathurst and like from my CrossFit days over there, I'd sort of, you know, been following their pages and and I sort of been following Dave and, you know, his journey through kettlebell sport and I thought, you know, like I can remember Ash Corby saying to me at that first CrossFit comp, geez, you can throw that kettlebell around. And, you know, like I sort of took that, you know, on my sleeve at the time but now looking back you know it was probably a damn you know like a damn good advice like you know I've sort of utilized that advice now you know like with you know incorporating kettlebell sport into like my training and stuff so a kettlebell when you go away for a kettlebell competition yeah it's um pushing the kettlebell from your shoulder to overhead yeah yeah, it's a clean and jerk. So there's oh, essentially yeah, so you do come to your hips. Yeah, so essentially there's there's three um, main movements um, in kettlebell sport. Um, you've got your your one arm long cycle, like which is um, your clean and jerk. Um, you've just got your plain jerk. Touch the ground in between. No, no, no. the kettle. Yeah, no, yeah. you're not allowed to. Yeah, you know, and you've got to rest in the rack position. Um, yeah, so it's... And each one is five minutes long, each arm? No. 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 It's, it's, so there's different flights. They're called flights. So there's a 10-minute flight and then you go into half marathon, which is 30 minutes, and then there's people that do marathon, which is swinging for an hour straight. Um, so essentially what you want to be aiming for is, you know, doing five minutes straight each arm, like obviously because it's even, but... Like for me personally, my right, because I'm right-handed, my right side's a lot stronger than my left. Um, so what I'll try and do is, and I know that I can pump out more more reps on my right side than my left. Can you so switch hands any time or you can only switch? You can, you can only switch one in the 10-minute flight, but yeah. for your half marathon you can do like dual changes. So, yeah, that's the only thing that you really have to be mindful of. Like if you get stuck... Um, you know, after three minutes on your left side, um, you know, you've got a, you've got the rest of your time on your right side. So, and do you start on your weaker side? Yeah, I do. Yeah, so you yeah, do. I always start on my left. There's the hang, clean, and jerk, and then there's just the jerk only. So shoulder yeah. overhead. Yeah, and then there's a snatch. Yeah, so that's from the hang directly to lockout. Yeah. Yeah. And do you do all three or you can enter? You can you can do whatever you want, but obviously like it's pretty heavy going. Yeah. Um the most I've ever done um is two lifts in a comp. Um my my preference is um long cycle, so swinging two kettlebells at the same time. 
that's I'm I feel that I'm much better at that um, than what I am with actually the one bell. Um, I don't know if it's coming from I think I don't know if it's coming like from an athlete's perspective that it's I find it more challenging to do it. Um, because the funny thing is I've only actually competed once with two bells. And the other ones, like I've qualified like um, for the world championships on the Australian team with just using the one bell. So, you know, that's that's sort of one of my main goals at the moment is to to qualify on the Australian team for the for the long cycle with the two kettlebells. So, yeah, but I but for me personally, I actually feel that I'm better at swinging long cycle than one arm long cycle. So just for the yeah. listeners, one more time through, whichever one you choose, whether it's a clean and jerk or the shoulder yeah. on the head or the snatch, obviously you, you use a little bit different names. Yeah. Uh, it's 10 minutes for the yeah. shortest one. You can switch yeah. once. Once, only. yeah. Yeah, and when yeah. you rest, you've got to rest with the kettlebell in that front rack position. Yeah, and you can actually get on the shoulders. massive um, legs. It's a lot of legs. Yeah. Like, because you've got to get that, that dip and drive, like in your jerk. Yeah. Um, yeah. So essentially, your legs are, you know, like the engines behind getting that kettlebell up. Yeah. And what um, weight kettlebell do you use? 16. Yeah. 16, and I'm training 20 at the moment. So um, I've qualified for one arm long cycle. Um, for the world championships, they were supposed to be held in Spain in June. Um, but obviously, like with everything that's going on, they've been, well, at this stage, they've been postponed to the first week in December. But, like, I seriously can't see it happening, like, with what's going on over there at the moment. Like, it's just it's just horrific conditions for those guys over there. And, you know, like the fatality loss and stuff, you know, like, it's going to take them years to get their lives, you know, back going again. So I can't see, can't see the World Championships being held in December either. Um so, um, yeah, it's I've qualified for the one-arm long cycle in a 10-minute flight um, and also I did my first half marathon. Um, I think it was like a week before the we got shut down and I qualified for the Australian team for that too. So 30 minutes straight with a 16-kilo kettlebell. How many reps do you try and get for 10 minutes and 30 minutes? Um, it's with kettlebell sport, how they, I'll give you a bit of a, like how it sort of all works and like sort of weights and stuff like that. So how it works is, um, you're actually weighed, like your body weight, you're actually weighed at the start of each competition. So that determines, um, basically what category you lift in and how many reps that you have to attain to get your ranking to, to like, qualify for events and things like that. So that in itself is, like, massive pressure. Like, like sort of you, ha- you sort of have to make weight, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, it's, it is, it's essentially it is a weightlifting competition. Um, so, you know, like, I've got to make sure that my nutrition is, is spot on and, you know, that I'm in that weight class. Um, that I've been training for because, mate, I can tell you now, like when I first sort of started out, I remember my first comp, I was 500 grams over. And, mate, that just, that was, 
<laughs> it was guttering, like, you know, like 500 grams and um, it, it made it that much harder because I was in that next weight category class where I had to get so many more reps. Um, and, you know, like if you're sort of lifting essentially like when you sort of look at things like that, the sort of the, the heavier you are, the stronger you tend, yeah, the, the stronger you should be. So if you're at the bottom of that sort of weight class, like this is how I sort of set, saw it at that stage was that, you know, I'm at the I'm at the sort of pecking order, the bottom of, you know, that weight class is going to make it that much harder for me to to get that that sort of those reps. But um, the, the Federation in Australia, um, they sort of release a ranking table and that sort of gives you a guideline um, of like where you should be for those sort of rankings and stuff like that. But I sort of um, like during the, like the flight and stuff like that, I sort of go in and I sort of set myself a goal at how many reps per minute. Yeah. Um, that's sort of the easiest way that for me to sort of visualise where I'm at and, you know, like what I need to do, you know, if I need to sort of, you know, for the next minute need to get that extra rep to sort of keep me on track for that. Break a big goal down into short little goals. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, like I sort of, it's more, it's sort of more maintainable, I suppose, like that, if you sort of look at it like that. Um, And I sort of comes down to like, um, mind over matter like your mind is the thing your mind's the first thing to go like it's the first thing to fail you like you know your body's the last thing to fail you um it's sort of how you go in with a mindset and how you approach that that sort of gets you through so you sort of I sort of know like when I sort of go into competitions I sort of know what's going to work for me and you know breaking it down like minute by minutes is the thing that sort of works for me. Like um, I can remember going into like my first marathon and stuff and like half marathon, so the 30 minutes, you know, like I'd been training. I'd only been training it for like a month or something leading into it. So but, you know, like I wanted to qualify for a second event for Spain because it's a long way to go for one event. Like so I wanted to make the most of, you know, qualifying for a second event for Spain and, I remember like watching, you know, like my coach because she competes as well. Um, and, you know, she got 400 plus reps in 30 minutes, like with a 16 kilo kettlebell. And I was like, how the fuck do you do that? Like, you know, like I was just like, that's just mind blowing at how somebody could do that. Anyways, we had, we had our one-on-one training session in Albury and, you know, she sort of set, she sort of set my plan out for that day and she said, right, I want you to do 360 reps in that 30 minutes. Like that was what she wanted me to do. So I broke that down into how many reps it was a minute and that's what I stuck to. And, you know, like I didn't get any more, didn't get any less. She said, I want you to do 360. That's what I want you to do. And I can remember after pulling up after that 30 minutes and I was like huffing and puffing and I was like, far out, you know, like how do they get, you know, how am I going to get that extra 40 reps you know, to get 400 plus when it actually does come to comp time. Anyways, I stepped up on stage. The first comp was, I think it was the end of March and it was actually at Albury and um, I sort of set myself a target of how many reps per minute and I was like, right, just go for it. 
like I've got nothing to lose, just go for it. So, um, yeah, I set myself a limit and I actually got 400 reps in in the 30 minutes. Like, it, yeah, it sort of it makes it easier if you break stuff down. Like once you know that how your how your mindset going into every like into an event sort of you know sets the stage, but literally for that event, that's the biggest factor. You know, yeah. like you can train your ass off day in and day out, but how you come into that event on that day is what matters. Yeah, hundred percent. And where you're at with your goal setting, are you like a pretty big goal setter? Like, obviously, you mentioned a lot that you have it in the back of your head. Do you write it all down and jot a plan yeah. out, or do you? What's your process with goal setting? Um. So I, my, with my goal setting, um, it's constantly changing. Um. You know, like if you reach a goal, you set a bigger goal. Um, I don't just write things down and then cross them off and not add to that list. I'm always adding to that list. Do you celebrate um, your wins? Yeah, I do. Yeah, bloody oath, I do. Um, you know, like I might not celebrate it straight away, but, you know, I'll, ce- I'll celebrate, you know, two months down the track or whatever. Like I'll celebrate those goals. Yeah, and I think that's an, I think that's an important thing for anybody to do as well. Like you need to reward yourself. Like oh, I've said it before, you know, like I, I put a like a fair bit up um, on social media, um, you know, like about my training and stuff like that. But social media is also awesome at hiding, you know, the truth, you know, like you only want people to see the good stuff on social media, don't you? Like, you know, you don't see the behind the scenes stuff. Not that very goes often on. You post the mislifts and you know. The- no, nah, exactly. You don't. You don't see the. You don't see the literal blood, sweat, and tears that go behind stuff. So, I think it's important for people to reward themselves. Like, you know, and it's up to an individual's preference of how they do that. Um, you know, whether it's a weekend away, you know, indulging in you know alcohol and food or whatever you know like it's it's up to the individual how they sort of do that but i think it's a i think it's an important step for someone to to reward themselves for the hard effort that you put in like yeah yeah i think that's a big thing do you have a big goal then micro goals along the way um not really no like i just no i don't like i don't sort of I don't sort of have it and I sort of don't really have, um, you know, how you sort of see sort of people with um, short-term and long-term goals as well. Like I sort of don't have that as well. Like I sort of just write down what I want to do and just do it. Um, so many know, people don't even get to the step of writing it down though and writing it down yeah. is quite a powerful part. Yeah. And the reality is like if you don't just do it, the only person you're letting down is yourself. Exactly. That's exactly right. Like it, it sort of it makes you accountable as well. Like um, I suppose me sort of posting, um, you know, training videos and stuff up on social media, it's, it's a way of keeping me accountable. Um, and, you know, it's also good too, like I can go back and look from the first Kettlebells video that I put up on, on Instagram to, you know, the last one that I've put up now and how much I've improved. Like you, 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 you just don't, if you're not setting yourself goals and, um, you know, 
keeping track of that and making yourself accountable for things, you know, like what have you got to sort of fall back on to improve on that? Um, yeah, you need to be to be constantly aiming towards things, I think. Like I've, yeah, I don't think sort of, I've never been a person to sort of sit still either, like, but I suppose it just comes down to, to the per like to the individual, like how they sort of, you know, get to where they need to be. And do you have someone who holds you a bit accountable? Yeah, I've, so I've got a coach um, in Albury, um, Cheryl Snyder. She, her and her partner own Lone Dog Training um, in Albury. So I've got to say so all of my kettlebell training is online. So I video every single session that I do and I send it to her. Um, so I suppose really for me at the moment with what's going on with isolation and stuff like that, my training's not really affected. Um, you know, like I'm still, you know, aiming for Spain whenever that may be. The only thing that's ta- that's changed is obviously the time frame. Um, and the way that I sort of look at that now is that it's it's given me an opportunity to improve my lifts for the world championships, you know, like whereas, you know, I've had had six months to, to train for if it was going to be held in June, well, you know, potentially now I've got 12 months to improve, get quicker, pump out more reps, you know, and, That's yeah. Once that you can have, it can go two ways. You can either think exactly oh, six months, I don't have to work as hard, or I've got six yeah. months, I might be able to get an extra 20 reps. Exactly. That's exactly right. And that, that comes down to, you know, your mindset and how you approach things and, and your goals as well and, and being accountable. Like you've got to be accountable for, for your actions, I suppose. Like that's, that's the big thing. 100%. Let's, um, let's jump across to Sweet Nourishments. you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yep. So um, Sweet Nourishment, I started Sweet Nourishment um, after the birth of um, my first child, Mason. He um, he had a milk protein um, allergy and um, he couldn't eat a lot of foods. I couldn't breastfeed him. Um, and I suppose it also sort of comes back to um, to my side as a personal trainer where I sort of had that, that background of um, nutrition label reading and things like that because you'd actually be surprised at how many... Um, products actually contain milk, milk powder solids, um, yeah, even down to potato chips and stuff like they contain milk powder. So um, essentially what I had to do was um, come up with um, food options for him um, that sort of didn't trigger his allergy. So the biggest um, stumbling block that I had to come up against was like um, birthday parties and um, Easter um, where he couldn't have birthday cake and he couldn't have chocolate and things like that. So I sort of made up alternates to that. Um, And I suppose too it sort of um, evolved as well Um, and I I suppose um, sort of branched out a bit to incorporate um, a holistic approach to my training as well. 
um, to offer like people that um, healthy alternative. But it was originally founded on um, my son's milk protein allergies and, you know, having to come up with um, food alternatives for him, particularly chocolate and chocolate sort of treats and stuff like that. Yeah, and he was committed to, I guess, um, like the goals with that as you are as you're training. Is that how driven you are towards that kind of little business as well? Um, I've had my ups and downs with sweet nourishment and, like, it took me um, it took me a good 13-plus months to, to get it in the shops. I can't um, comprehend, like, the hurdles and hoops you'd have to through for that. Right. The lab testing and um, all the 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 product, um, like the labelling and the packaging and everything, like to to go by Australian standards and stuff like that. Like it was, it was phenomenal. Like it and it still is like a massive learning curve because you know like they're bringing out, um, you know, new rules and regulations every day, um, in that in that regards, but. The biggest stumbling block that I sort of had with with sweet nourishment and getting it out into the shops was um, we were just about to um, to hit the shops and um, the government sort of changed the labelling requirements. So now they have on the back of the um, on all food products, um, which is a good thing. Um, is what percentage is actually made in Australia and things like that, whereas before you could just put in, you know, made in Australia or made in New Zealand or whatever, but now you actually have to have like a a percentage on the back of it. So, you know, like I just outlaid um, a lot like for all these labels and things like that and the packaging and stuff like that and and they sort of changed the rules. Um, so that was that was a massive thing for me. It was like it was sort of like another expense that, and I had to find the money to come up. I had to find the money to to print the new labelling, and yeah. So I suppose you could say that I am committed to sweet nourishment, <laughs> like I am with my training. Like it's it's sort of like you know I've sort of delved into it too far now to sort of <laughs> and spent too much money to sort of you know backpedal on it, but. Um, to be honest with you, like with at the moment, like with everything sort of going on and, you know, making the Australian team for kettlebell sport, um, I've had to sort of realise that um, I sort of had to, I suppose, adjust um, my approach to sweet nourishment, like before I was doing markets on the weekends and, and things like that, well, I sort of, I can't do that anymore. Um, I just don't physically have the time to do it. Um, I suppose it comes down to prioritising things um, in life and, you know, something had to give and, you know, um, yeah, that was a, that was the one thing out of sweet nourishment that I sort of did have to give up, and it took me ages to um, to come to I suppose terms with you know not being able to do that side of it, um, and to concentrate more on I suppose the commercial side of it um, and putting it in the shops and things like that. 
um, rather than actually being, you know, face-to-face with people at the markets and things like that. But, yeah, something had to give and unfortunately for me that, that that's what it was. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Let's wrap it up. I've been going nearly an hour and a half. We'll jump in. <laughs> You can, uh, you're nervous as hell, but then we can just talk for an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us something yeah. about you that no one would know. Oh, okay. You ready for it? <laughs> um, I actually gave up smoking cold turkey six years ago for this. Yeah. That, you know, and I think that sort of, that sort of shocks a lot of people. Yeah. Um, you know, not everybody knew that I smoked. I was actually quite a bad smoker. Um, yeah, but, um, I'll never, ever forget the best bit of advice anybody ever gave me was at the hospital when I was up walking after my first Caesar and the nurse said to me, and I wish, I wish to this day that I could remember who that nurse was because I would seriously kiss her feet. And she said to me, where are you going, Hayley? And I said, I'm just going outside for a smoke. And she said, no, you're not. She said, you'll get to the end of that hallway and you'll pass out. And from that day on, I never, ever had another smoke. So I am forever grateful for that nurse up at Forbes Hospital that gave me that this, that advice. Um, I just wish that I knew who it was. Like, obviously, you know, at the time it was a pretty traumatic time in you know anybody's life going through an emergency c-section and I can't remember who it was but I am forever grateful to that nurse for yeah I suppose for helping me give up yeah 100% that kind of leads into the next question what best piece of advice you've ever been given yeah (laughs) yeah well it was that (laughs) um but in all honesty I think the best bit of advice anybody has ever given to me was um don't think just do um don't overthink things um I know that I analyze stuff me personally I I can sit back and analyze shit like you know like leading into my first kettlebell competition I was going back through previous comps seeing you know like what everybody else was sort of lifting and you know like what sort of rep range they were getting and stuff like that worry about you you know like Worry about, you know, what's going on in your own life and where you're at. You know, don't overthink stuff because, you know, it, it'll, it'll, be, it'll bring out the devil in you pretty much and it'll be your own worst enemy. Love it. Love it. Is there anything that's happened to you that you thought would be the worst thing in your life but it's turned out to be a blessing? Um, I think when, when you first sort of have kids, you know, you sort of go through that rough trot. Um, and I suppose particularly for me, you know, like you're, with the, with Mace's allergies and things like that and not sort of being able to like feed him and, and you know, at the stage, you know, I suppose give him the best start to life, you sort of beat yourself up about it and you just, you, and, you know, all these things go through your mind and think, you know, you know, have I done the right thing? You know, am I meant to be a mother and, you know, am, am I doing the best that I can and and things like that. And, you know, as hard as it seems at the time, you know, I look back now and I can't, I can't remember my life without kids. Like, you know, and, yeah, it that would have to be the biggest thing for me. You know, like I turn myself in knots thinking, you know, 
did I have do the right thing having kids and and things like that and you know was it too soon and and stuff like that but seriously now best thing ever yeah 100%. it's incredible I think we all go through that stage exactly where yeah it's just like totally. it doesn't probably get spoken about too much you know like, no and yeah you know like and I thought you know I'll put it out there and and I'll say it like you know it's it for me it was it wasn't so much a shock like it was I suppose you know like yeah well you see it with your own mother you know they do they want only want the best for you and stuff like that and you know when it's sort of I suppose when your body and you know everything that you're doing is starting to fail you um you know with your firstborn you think you know is this really for me you know is this is this what I'm supposed to be doing at this point in my life like yeah yeah yeah, but now found respect for your own parents once you are uh, oh, oh, for yourself. Totally, exactly. That is exactly and, right. Yeah. <laughs> it turns things into like it gives things a better perspective, doesn't it? <laughs> where, yeah. you, where do you want to be in five years? Um, I still would love to have the opportunity to represent Australia in kettlebell sport. Um, but you know, I would also love to add a world championships to that as well. Um, I'll, that's my next goal is I want to be a kettlebell world champion. Um, that's my focus, you know, and you know, whether it, it might not happen at my first world championships, you know, like, because it's going to be a learning experience for me as well. Um, you know, it might happen at my third world championships. You know, but at ultimate, ultimately, that's what I want. You know, like I want to be a kettlebell world champion. And, you know, there is talk about kettlebell sport being an Olympic sport. So who knows? 100%, you know, yeah. It, yeah, who knows? Maybe represent Australia at the Olympics one day, you know, if they do bring it in within the next, you know, four to eight years. How good. How good. Yeah. Um, hmm. I've, I've got a couple, yeah, I've got a couple of them, but just a couple. Just because I carry it all so well doesn't mean it's not heavy. Yeah, that's that's a that's a big one for me. I think because it sort of brings back to don't sort of read into people too much. Don't assume things. I think that's a that's a problem with society these days is that people assume things about others. Whereas, you know, really we've got no idea what's going on in their lives and, you know, they could be having the worst day possible but, you know, to you you're seeing a smile and, and not knowing what's going on in their lives. So it just sort of brings into context, you know, just be kind always. Um. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really important. Is like never assume, and then another exactly class was like kindness always wins, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's a big one for me. Yeah. yeah. Where can the listeners find you? Where can they get some sweet nourishments if they want to get some? Um, it's available um, online, so I can post out to you. So um, sweetnourishment.com.au or it's available in Bernardi's supermarkets. Um, in the Central West. So um, Forbes has just been restocked. Obviously, with the coronavirus and travelling and things like that, I can't actually get it to the other stores. 
Um, so at the moment, um, Bernardi's in Forbes is fully restocked. You can also grab the organic granola from um, Pink Orchid Florist in Parks and um, energize with Amy. So Amy Robertson, she owns a personal training studio in Parks. She's got the organic bliss ball mix as well. Um, and if you just wanted to shoot her a message or anything like that or any of them because they're all doing online trading and stuff now. So everything's available online with, you know, what's going on. Yeah, sweet. Can you buy the granola yeah. offline of Sweet Nourishments? Yeah. So if you just shoot me a message, um, yeah, I can organise it out for you. Wait, I'm going to get some. Um, yeah. You're pretty active on Instagram. What's your – Yeah. That- Hayley Redfern? Yeah, just Hayley Redfern, yeah. So I'm mainly like with all my training and stuff like that, um, it mainly just goes up like on Instagram and stuff like that. Um, I like Instagram a lot more than Facebook. Yeah, me too, 100%. Yeah. And, yeah, Sweet Nourishment's got their own. Sweet Nourishment has its own Instagram page. Sweet. Yeah. Um, Flick Hales a message if you like this episode. But, yeah, thanks for jumping on, Hales. Thanks for having me. It's been good. Let a lot out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dang it. Raw and honest and open. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. No worries. I'm sick of us not doing this right. That's why I think I'm cutting you from my life. No more. I'm sick of us not doing this right. That's why I think I'm cutting you from my life. No more wasted energy spending a pace for every hour of waste. I need an escape to center me. And I don't mean to make a rush for the door, but time's a currency. I'm currently poor. I'll be leaving it soon. I don't mean to be rude, but this scene ain't for me. Like your mom's seeing your news. Thanks for listening, guys. If you liked it, jump over and leave a review. Uh, and take a screenshot, pop it on your Instagram story, and tag Logan Thorpe and Logan Thorpe Fitness. Uh, looking forward to the next episode with Mitchie Lingard.